Well, good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be back with you this morning. I had the chance to be with you last summer. And as Chandler said, my name is Joe Dennessy, and I'm uh, one of the pastors at Grace and Peace uh, just down the road. And it is a joy to be here with you this morning. I, I do feel like I get to see a healthy contingency of DPC folks at my neighborhood pool, um, Grace and Peace folks as well. It's all, it always kind of feels like a mixer uh, over there between our two churches. Uh, and Grace of Peace, uh, as Chandler mentioned, is your first daughter church. You've got a couple of daughter churches now. We're the, we're the older one. I like to think of us as the Miley Cyrus to your Billy Ray. And uh, old enough to make our own decisions and poor decisions sometimes, uh, perhaps me being one of those. Uh, I've been there four years now. And in, in all seriousness, in those last four years, uh, the leadership of this church, and I'm including some of the ruling elders as well, has been life to me uh, several times. Uh, your pastors, uh, to a man, have been there when I've called and asked for advice and help or just to hang out and process life. And um, your ruling elders, I've been able to serve on committees with at least two of them. And so I am so thankful for your leadership. I hope that you are too. And since I have been encouraged uh, by your church, I hope to be able to return the favor and encourage you this morning from Psalm 29. And here's what I want you to think about. Before we read that, here's, here's what I want you to consider. The wonder that God is a speaking God. That He doesn't just create, and He doesn't just redeem, but He, he speaks and he has been speaking to everyone in this room all morning. That from the moment you woke up, God has been speaking to you. In fact, God has been speaking to everyone around the globe from the first moments that we drew a breath. And what I'm talking about is the fact that God speaks to us through the creation around us. And, and the Apostle Paul says, this reality is so fundamental and so real, and yet human nature, sinful as it is, our tendency is to sort of push that truth down, to, to dismiss the idea that God is ever speaking to us through the world around us. Now, the world, the, the creation can't tell us glorious truths that we find in Scripture. We need Scripture to reveal to us things like the Trinity, uh, the incarnation. Only Scripture can tell us the meaning and the, the significance of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And yet, in a very real way, and perhaps more general way, God speaks to us in the world around us. So what if what we take for granted as natural is anything but? And what if nature as it were, is supernatural because behind everything is God's ongoing, sustaining Word in everything that we see and experience. And if that is true, then what could be more important than learning to listen to God's voice wherever we hear it? And what could be more wonderful than hearing it? 
You know, the Old Testament writers never seem to get over the fact that God created everything that we see. Over and over again, they remind us as if we would forget that God made everything. He's the maker of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible. They never got over it, and they don't want us to ever get over it because they are wild and awed that the God who made us continues to speak to us in everything that He has made. Though ultimately we do need His Scriptures to make sense of His Word in creation. And so we have for us a perfect blend this morning in Psalm 29 where the Scriptures help us to make sense of an aspect of His creation. So let's read this and then I'll pray for us. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Almighty God, we confess that we know you to be a kind and gracious God, and so we ask for your kindness and your grace now. Would you dig out for us ears to hear, and would you give us eyes to see the risen Christ, and would you do this by your Holy Spirit? Amen. Uh, Many of us have taken art appreciation classes at some point in our life, or we've been in uh, an art museum, or we've seen paintings, and if you spend any time around a painting, you might hear somebody say, this piece really speaks to me. Um, If you were to walk into my room, you would see a number of wonderful three-year-old art sketches. Uh, And you might actually wonder, how many three-year-olds does this guy have? And I have exactly zero three-year-olds, but I've had three three three-year-olds. You see, the way a, a piece of art works, when you walk into a museum, if you know nothing about the piece and you see something hanging on the wall, you have no idea when it was created. Uh, You have no idea uh, who created it, and you really have no idea if the person who made it is still alive. And so there's a sense in which Scripture uses the language of this piece speaks to me, and yet it also means it in a very different way. Not as something that God made a long time ago, and it continues to bear witness to Him, It's less like a painting on a wall, and it's more like an ongoing and never-stopping transmission from a satellite dish, communicating 
Always. Continually. That is what creation is doing for us even now, even if our tendency is to somehow push that down and to not see what is obviously around us. God's work in sustaining this world is ongoing, and so His voice to us in creation is ongoing as well. God is a speaking God. We read in Genesis that when He willed the universe into being, He spoke it into existence. He said things like, let there be light, and there was. We read in Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The world around us is always talking and revealing to us something of the character of God. Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of His Word. The Bible knows nothing of a God who creates something as wonderful as as creation and then sets it down and watches it from afar. The Bible knows nothing of that, and neither does creation. Not the trees or the mountains or the clouds or the storms. God creates and preserves and governs every molecule of the universe millisecond by millisecond. The sun did not rise this morning as programmed like many of our coffee makers went off, but rather because God guides and controls and sustains our universe, our solar system. And creation testifies to this reality. I don't know how many of you are familiar with an old confession called the Belgic Confession. It's almost 500 years old, one of the first Reformed confessions. I want to read you a few lines about what it says about creation. The creation, the preservation, and the government of the universe is a most elegant book before our eyes in which all creatures, great and small, are as many characters leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely His power and His divinity. We know, don't we, that the Scriptures, they're living and active. This book is living and active. And yet Christians for centuries have said, and to a lesser degree, in a less specific way, so is creation a living and active book that is always, and it never stops, bearing witness to the invisible attributes of God. And in our passage, we see David, the psalmist, He calls God's activity in creation the voice of the Lord. Not once or twice, but seven times he says, you want to see what's going on around you? It's the voice of the Lord. It is God speaking in what is happening around us. And so the Bible teaches us that whatever we see and wherever we are in creation, what we are finding is that God is telling us something about himself. And so the only appropriate response to hearing God's voice is to turn around and to worship the one who is speaking. The Bible teaches us that He always talks to us. And so worship is the goal, but here's our outline. 
In verses 1 and 2, we're told what God is like. And then in verses 3 through most of 9, we're shown what God is like. And the last line of verse 9 through the end of this psalm, well, we're, we're called back to worship the one who is speaking. Verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. David calls on even angels, all created moral beings, give proper credit to God for His glory and His strength and His holiness. And then David says, because God is glorious and because He is holy and powerful, our response ought to be one of worship. David David uses this language to describe God because God alone sits enthroned above His creation. God alone sits over what He has made and looks down as Creator and Sustainer and Redeemer. God alone continues to will into being the the creation that He willed into creation. And we're called to simply acknowledge the amazing and simple fact that He is God and we are not. He is the powerful one, and we are His creatures. As we read in Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. There is nothing that we can do or be apart from His will. And so we're called to acknowledge that we, along with all things that exist, have been created and continue because God wills it and speaks it. When we look at creation, we're supposed to remember we're part of it. We're to acknowledge Him as the powerful and the glorious one. You know, we don't have a king uh, in America, but I can't help but wonder. I'm a little bit cynical. I can't help but wonder some of the conversations that take place in countries where there is a king. Um, I imagine that I would say things like, What is so special about this guy that he gets to wear a crown? Why is he dressed in all of that? And why do I have to show him the adoration that I show? Why must I bow before this man? So so let me get this straight. He was born in the right family, and so now I have to serve his ego. That is not what serving the king of the universe is like at all. J.I. Packer says this, God's glory points to a purpose, not of divine egoism, as is sometimes imagined, but of divine love. In God's kindness, what we find is that His his glory and our good, well, they're intertwined. He's made it so that we find our good in His glory. We find this truth in creation every day. Paul reminds us of this in Acts 14. He says, For God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. In other words, have you ever felt the warmth of the sun on your skin on a perfect day? Have you ever smiled because of a meal that you ate, even the day after you ate it? Are your lungs filled with oxygen? 
God gives these things to you intentionally and personally. And so the psalmist says, so ascribe glory and strength to the Lord. Acknowledge who He is and what He is like. And let His glorious goodness to you move you. Let it fill you with wonder and love and devotion. Behold and see, He is magnificently glorious and holy. He is altogether different from us, and yet He has been so kind. So the point one is we're, we're told what He's like. He's powerful and holy and glorious. Point two, we're shown what He's like. We're not just told In verses 3 through most of 9, we see the words, the voice of the Lord, seven times. And where do we see it? In a powerful storm. God's not telling us to listen for His voice, but to recognize it when we hear it, because we hear it everywhere. What's interesting about this passage God doesn't choose to show us what His voice is like in what we would consider peaceful and beautiful aspects of creation. We're not told to listen to His voice in a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset or a rainbow over the Grand Canyon. We're told to hear His voice and to listen to it in a storm that ravages everything in its path. And coupled with this idea is the idea of covenant. This doesn't leap out as immediately from the text, but every time you see L-O-R-D, Lord, in all caps in the Old Testament, that's the covenant name of God, the covenant-keeping Yahweh, the God who commands us and our children to be washed in the sign of His covenant. And what we see is he's not just king of his people, he's king of creation. He's not just king of the waters in the church, he's king of all the waters in the universe. And I'm not even king of the water in my own house. Maybe I'm not the only one here to have dealt with water issues in a basement. Heavy rains in Greenville mean the wetback comes out in the Denesee household. We paid someone to fix these issues, but still you wonder, did it work? Are we going to be spared from the water? And I don't know how many of you remember this, but we were tested in one of the loudest and brightest thunderstorms I can remember about a month ago. And it was June 11th, I remember, because it was the night before I drove to Memphis for General Assembly. Do anyone remember this storm? It shook my house like no storm has ever shook my house. It lit up my bedroom at two in the morning like all the lights in the house were on. It was terrifying. And I knew with crystal clarity that I was going to deal with whatever came my way. There was no stopping this storm. The house is rattling, and I couldn't say, you know, I'm going, to do, I'm going to tweak some things on the foundation and make my house stop rattling. My curtains were closed, but my, my room was still brightly lit from the lightning flashing over and over again. I thought my dog was going to die. And we got five inches of rain that night, and I slept not a wink. We all know what it is to be at the mercy of what insurance companies rightly call acts of God. 
some of us more than others. And God's reminding us in this passage there are no autonomous storms. There are no fluke storms. My voice goes forth even in storms. And so we read in verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. Verse 7, the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Verse 8, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. What's he saying? The voice of the Lord is powerful, and not only powerful, it is uncontrollable. When thunder shakes your world, there is nothing you can do to change that. His power is unparalleled. We read even the most powerful materials, the strongest materials are no match for His voice. In verse 5, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The strongest trees snap at the voice of the Lord. They're no match for Him. And here's the thing about God's power and His glory. You don't have to do anything to be encountered by it. God speaks to everyone. We are confronted with His glory at every, in every waking moment. He's always revealing Himself in creation. And here's what I mean by you don't have to do anything. I mean, there are many experiences that are available to us in this world that most of us won't have, right? There's an exhaustible number of places we can go to, uh, foods we can try, drinks we can have. Like, we, we can't do it all. I mean, and if I were to invite you and say, hey, tomorrow I'm going to New Zealand and you should come with me, you're likely to say one of two things. I can't afford that right now. That's not in the budget. Or I don't have time. There's so many of our friends and people we know have seemingly more resources or time on their schedule to experience things that, that we don't get to experience. But your experience of the voice of the Lord has nothing at all to do with your resources or your resourcefulness. No one discovers the voice of the Lord. It comes to everyone. And the voice of the Lord comes to everyone every day. The glorious and holy and powerful God has decided to give us an ongoing glimpse of who He is and what He is like in the world around us so that we might respond to Him in worship. God also shows us that He is the giver and the taker of life in this passage. In verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And so this life and death voice of God, it, it comes to everyone. And the question this passage is asking us is, how will we respond to it? The last line of verse 9 through 11 show us the way. And here's where we, we see that ultimately, as powerful, as wonderful, as majestic as God's ongoing voice to us in creation is, we really do need God to speak to us in the Scriptures to help us to make sense of it. We need His voice in the Scriptures to help us to orient ourselves around His voice to us in creation. And so we see that the holy voice that speaks 
even to storms and bring thunder and lightning that shake and strip. The Scriptures help us to make sense of that. Now, it seems to me we don't much care for God's tone in a thunderstorm. We much prefer His voice in a sunrise or a sunset, a bubbling brook, maybe. But instinctively, we're afraid of thunderstorms. Why? Because we know that a thunderous voice of a holy and powerful God has every right not only to strip forests bare, but to lay sinners bare as well. We know that a God who is powerful to bring a storm that can bring devastation, surely we should be afraid of that kind of power. Because we all know that we've sinned against the God of creation. Instinctively, we know it. But notice here, what sort of response does David describe to this voice of God in a thunderstorm. It's not with the fear that you might expect. Look at the last line of verse 9. And all in his temple cry glory. Where do they respond this way? Where do they cry out glory? In his temple. In God's temple, the people of God do exactly as they were instructed in verse 1. In the temple, they ascribe glory to God. They recognize His voice for what it is, and they recognize Him for who He is. Now hold that thought. Now look at the, verse, the first line of verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The word, and I hate when, when preacher types do this, but I do think it's helpful here. The word used for flood is really important. It's only used 13 times in the whole Bible, once here and 12 times in Genesis. Where? In the flood, the flood story. You see that word over and over again anytime God describes Noah's flood. It's only there and here. And I think it's on purpose. So what's David getting at when he puts the storm of Noah's flood and the temple of God side by side? The flood of the storm of God's judgment against a sinful and rebellious humanity. The flood was God's judgment on humanity who received the good gifts of God. Warm sun, good food, air in our lungs. We received the good gifts of God and rejected His voice. A story we know all too well. So again, what does the flood have to do with the temple? I think perhaps a better question is, what does the ark have to do with the temple? Uh, this is the two, two places, and there's others in the Old Testament, where the people of God realized really quickly they needed to know God not just as creator, but as redeemer. They needed to know not just that He made all things, but He forgives sinners. And we too must know Him not just as the God of creation, but as the God who forgives And so we find with Noah, as with those gathered in his temple, that they know peace with God, the last line of the psalm, not because they're good, and not because they got it when they saw God's voice in creation, but because they were forgiven. They know sacrifice. 
And so those who learn to cry glory know God's voice because they're forgiven sinners. So where does that lead us, this side of the New Testament? How do we, how do we get to Jesus this morning? Well, let's start with the temple. Temple, of course, is God's presence on earth, the place where sacrifice and forgiveness are found. And Jesus says on a number of places, but in Matthew 12 and John 2, for example, I'm the real temple. All of that points to me, who I am and what I've come to do. So the temple is a straight line to Jesus, but so is the flood. Peter mentions the flood in both of his New Testament letters. He says the flood is is both a picture of judgment and of salvation pictured for us now in the church in baptism. Just as Noah and his children were brought safely through, so there is a promise for us and our children in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the, the temple is a straight line to Jesus and the flood is a straight line to Jesus. But here's my favorite straight line. Verses 11 and 12, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. In verse 1, we're called to ascribe strength to God. Acknowledge that he is strength. You know, when, when we consider the attributes of God, we're not simply describing what he is like. Of course, we are doing that but we're describing who He is. He's not simply loving. God is love. And He's not just wrathful, but He's wrath. And He's not just strong, but He is strength. May the Lord give strength to His people. So when God gives strength, what else is He giving but Himself? He gives Himself to us in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, was always sensitive to the voice of God. He listened to the words of God, but He didn't just listen to the words of God. He is the Word of God. He makes known this great God to others, even in His perfect obedience. But He was crucified as a sinner. And so we find again that Jesus is both the ark and the temple. He's able to protect us from the storm of God's wrath precisely because he endures the wrath of God fully for his people. And so there's an invitation for us now to find that Jesus is both the strength strength of God and the refuge of sinners. And if we see him as this, if we receive this Jesus, if we entrust ourselves to him by faith, that what we find is that God's voice in creation becomes sweeter. So much sweeter. It becomes sweeter because God's not just proclaiming to us who he is. He's proclaiming to us all that belongs to us in Jesus. Not only does creation proclaim that He is strong, but that He gives us His strength. And not only does creation proclaim that He is holy, but we have peace with a holy God. And not only does His creation proclaim that He is glorious, but is an invitation that we share in His glory for eternity. 
And so worship becomes more than obedience. It becomes a joyful response to worship. I mean, it becomes a joyful response to forgiveness. And so we don't just respond to God's Word read to us in Sunday with worship, but we respond to God's Word wherever we hear it with worship. In His kindness, the God of creation has filled our lungs with air. He's filled our stomachs with food. He has filled our eyes with the wonder of a glorious creation around us. But this God of creation is also a God of redemption. And in the death and resurrection of Jesus, He fills us with hope in this life and the next. And so the only appropriate response to this is that we worship. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, great God, powerful, strong, mighty, majestic. We thank you that you were all of these things. And if it weren't for your grace and forgiveness, this would simply be terrifying to us because we know we are sinners. We know we have earned your punishment. And so we thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you are also a God of redemption. And we pray that you would grow our faith in the Lord Jesus that we might see him and hear him and follow him, that we might know that you truly are good to sinners. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.